Is that a yes? Is yeah. that a yes? That's a yes. Come Welcome on. to Neighbor Night Podcast. I'm Chris Dielson. I'm Alexander Ford. <laughs> uh, welcome to tonight's show. We have a, another filmmaker on the show. Yes. This will be the, the second one in the past few months, which is pretty exciting. I can't even remember when the last guy came. Was it? Several months ago. Several months ago, yeah. But That's welcome to the show, Ruben. Thank you so much. Uh, you want to introduce yourself to the people at home? Sure. My name is Ruben Orbach. Uh, based in California. Uh, just finished a film called Constant Treason, originally from Toronto, Canada. Uh, okay. Been out here for a while. And uh, that's my background. Sure. So, did you move from Toronto to, to, do, to pursue filmmaking? Or, like, like how, did, how did that? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I came out to college out at USC and I just sort of fell into it. Okay. I met a writer on a plane. I met a writer on a plane. Sort of switched careers, started writing, fell into filmmaking. Okay, wait. So you met a whoa, you met a writer on a plane, and that made you decide I want to be a writer. That seems like a very. I, I met a dog catcher on a plane, and now I'm out in the streets just rounding up poodles. That how that, I feel like you skipped something, enough, something there. I met a beekeeper when I was a kid, once, and I don't want to keep bees. That sounds awful. So different experiences for different people. So on a plane, talking to a writer, did was was the writer that you were talking to was it like a film writer or novelist, journalist? Like what? what uh, he, was a te- he was a te- he was a television writer. Oh. Okay, cool. So uh, did that make you want to do like television writing or just kind of writing in general? I just started writing screenwriting, just trying to get the feel of it. Just when I was at night after college, and I just started, got I got into it, and it was just one thing led to the other, and I. Sort of finished up my degree there, and then I went to NYU and went to film school in New York. Okay, so coast to coast on that one. Yeah. <laughs> huh. So it's a lot. It's a lot of travel. <laughs> I guess I, I, I. Yeah, I don't know what. So what? Like ha, you, you said you had a career change to go into writing. So were were you pursuing a career in entertainment pr- prior to meeting a writer and deciding to go about that, or was that really the impetus for you going into a creative field? Uh, it was like the impetus. You know, it was kind of more doing other things and it was more of an impetus to go into the creative world okay yeah. i worked it- I, worked, I worked at disney for a little bit and checked out to see if i liked that side of the business and i liked the creative side more so i, I decided okay. to stay there so was it what, what was it that attracted you because I, I i may be misrepresenting this i guess but it sounds like one conversation changed changed the course was it just like the the freedom of creativity that that someone has in that or maybe a viability in the industry that you didn't see before or, or just one really fucking cool dude on the plane <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was one cool conversation he was so happy doing it and i don't know i just started it started as a hobby i just started doing it I took a couple classes you know, one thing led to the others, and producers liked it, and sold a couple things, and then I, you know, then I decided to, you know, go to go to film school, and then I became an independent filmmaker in New York, okay. and I made a film called Lucky Man with Frank Vincent and Vincent Pastor from Sopranos. That led to a bunch of stuff. Some eight, couple A-list directors saw it, and then I got attached to a bunch of films as a writer and director. Okay, and then I. Uh, and then I just, it's just sort of happened naturally. Then I became a screenwriter. A lot of stuff didn't get made. And then I, you know, came out and now I'm doing a bunch of projects now because just, you know, how the business is. Sure. Absolutely. That's what you got to do. Yeah. Uh, so how did you, so c- coming in as a writer and you said you'd done some, some technical work before, how, how did you transition from writing to directing? Was that I need a director for a project I'm working on or what was that journey like? Sure. It's, you know, I went to New York. I started working on film sets 
I liked it. I went to film school. You know, I took classes. I made a, sh- a couple shorts in film school. Then one thing led to the other, and I started making. Then I made this bigger film called Lucky Man in New York, and that's how it happened. Okay, so have you? What it, it seems like uh, that like film school was was a, a good amount of time ago. Now, what have you been working on since then? How many? <laughs> that face. <I> was, <laughs> Um, how how much have you done since then? Because Constant Treason is a short, correct, or is it a visual length? It's a short based on a TV show that I'm doing. okay. Uh, it's like the last three scenes of the first season, so it just gives you a, a bit of it and it's helping sell the show. Okay, I see. Uh, so have you have you worked on like um, more feature length projects, or what? What is it that makes uh, I guess this project like different from the work that you've had in the past? Sure. I mean, a lot of the stuff is, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been positioned to do a feature called The Glass Cage, which is like a femme fatale. It's about an heiress and a detective who try to pin a double murder on each other and fall in love at the same time. So it's, it's, it's I've been in the feature world for a while. And okay. now I'm, you know, doing TV, which is, you know, more where it's at. The quality of the work's better. Sure. And so I had, so I, I did this small film just to help sell the project and just serve the purpose of that and, and kind of led to, uh, you know, television. And then the feature that I've been working on for a while is now this way more, there's some interest in turning into a TV show. So it just, it just seems like everything's going toward TV now. I mean, there is a lot of stuff out there that seems to be a little bit more gear. I mean, if you're, if you're not doing kind of a, a, a very formulaic version of, of blockbuster movies at the moment, it seems like TV is the place for you. Like, There's definitely a lot more creative expression happening there, yeah. I mean, especially with Disney's current stronghold on, on the box office landscape. Yeah. Uh, so, so, okay, do you... When you when you did your that original feature that you were talking about that you did up in New York, that was, you said Lucky Man? Was the name yeah, of it? Yeah, it was released in New York. It was released on Amazon. Okay, so what 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 was that film about? Like, what's the what's the plot and sure. and everything behind that? Sure, it's it's kind of like you know a, ma- a mafia Scorsese inspired kind of project. Uh, I worked with you know, like I said, uh, Frank Vincent, Gary Gary Pesor, with within the the dude. Um and uh, it's about a a, a, pre, a a two brothers, one in seminary school and one a gambler. And it's about how the seminary student goes does a favor for the mafia to save his brother from gambling debt. All right. Okay. Okay. So, so how many like projects total in terms of like your writing, directing, all that stuff? Like things that you've been heavy handedly involved in, not just like a secondary source. Like, oh, I was right. on set with these guys. Like, yeah. How, how, how yeah. far down the the journey of of an entertain, entertainment career are you now? Yeah. Like, how many sure, films? I mean, I, in? I would, I, I was a screenwriter for hire for a number of projects, mm. and I got attached to a bunch of films. Some I used to do comedy, a lot of comedy for a while. I did a okay. about how to catch a gang, how to catch a gangster. Uh, this love and sex It's kind of like a Woody Allenish project. Then I, I I'm doing like a bigger studio type stuff called uh, Weather Wars, which is okay. like a, um, which is it's like a weather war in the future. It's 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 all about weather modification. I don't know if you know much about that. Okay. Yeah, I like, um, like, like chemtrails and shit. Like, yeah, taking it to another level, set yeah. in the future, studio project. And now I'm doing uh, the Constitution show, and now I'm doing uh, either the Glass Cage feature or the Glass Cage show. I'm not sure yet. We'll see what happens. Sure. And uh, and then there's a couple other projects brewing around too. So okay. 
so so constant treason has a like a like espionage type flair to it almost and so it it seems to me like if you're if you're uh the the early work that you're talking about is a scorsese inspired gangster movie and now you're kind of doing a treason uh, like espionage type thing there's there's a bit of a through line there like is that is that something that uh, is intentional like is that kind of what what you like to work on is is those sorts of like underground type things or or like how how yeah what's your sure, sure. Yeah. I, like, I like i know what to ask you uh i i uh i like worlds that are like uh their own world whether it's like a mafia world a spy world this other glass cage is about an ultra wealthy world i like one world that kind of kind of encapsulates the whole world i like crime thrillers and I like, you know, uh, you know, complex relationships uh, within a crime thriller. Uh, those are the things that kind of attract me. Okay. So the the twist and the and the secret and like, because that's that's one of the things when you were talking about Glass Cage, and I noticed in uh, the synopsis of uh, Constant Treason, uh, both of those mentioned uh, people falling in love that shouldn't be falling in love, and kind of like. Uh, the the back and forth of like oh like I'm we're set up to do this thing and like we're not supposed to be in love but we are in love is is that something that like has been uh, a consistent for you like those kind of underlying tones of of I guess plot twisty secretive kind of kind of stuff like is that something that you're used to doing yeah, I, mean, I I do like when they put it like a you know a relationship. It could be yeah. two brothers. It could it could be a, you know a, you know couple you know that are like forced into like a really intense world, and they have to make you know moral decisions based on what you know whether their friendship, their brothers or or their lovers, you know whether it's country versus morality or the lover versus the country. I like those big questions. You know, I'm I'm definitely like. I love the films of like the John Houston's of the world and the, the films of some of the, the major directors of those era where they have the big themes and moral plays. Mm-hmm. So having the, t- the two people op- uh, opposite each other, instead of having either that kind of solo uh, main character or having several people, not just the two, like it kind of gives you the, the ability to balance that dichotomy of having each of them represent a different side of, of uh, you know uh, the, the story is the, and, and that's kind of like what you're banking on there. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 true. I mean, I, I like to, especially even the like the love affair. I like to have have them entwined into the plot instead of just like thrown in. It just makes it you know more compelling because they're they're you know each beat is more compelling. Yeah. It's, it's not just like you're throwing a relationship on the side. Sure. So yes. The, so I, I so you were saying that you like uh, to have worlds that have. I guess maybe I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but like like bigger worlds that have sort of rules that you can kind of see through, so that like to establish the setting as the world that they exist in. Am I taking that right? Yeah. So yeah, that's correct. How if if um, you you're also saying that you like doing character driven stuff, and that, that's interesting to me because I think that a lot of uh, larger worlds and, and pieces that focus on world building elements use. Um, kind of maybe more expansive shots or kind of delve into uh, pieces of the story that are maybe not as related to the character in order to portray the the depth of the world that they're in. So at, with a character-driven piece, how do you uh, construct a world like that but still make sure that you're, you're paying attention and giving the characters the, the time that you want? That's a good question. Well, I, I think it all goes together. I mean, it's it's just not one or the other. It's like the expansive world is, is part of the same character. Like, you know, whether it's the clothes, the set design, like this project, The Glass Cage that I'm doing, it's 
it's a noir set in the 70s and okay. uh, you know so it's it's like you know the characters you know part, you know all the clothes and the set design and everything's part of that world and he's part of that world so it's not like really one or the other it's like how he kind of like how he kind of fits into the world and from like actual shooting standpoint like just taking that for example like there's definitely some big master shots it's like a big china I don't know if you're familiar with the film Chinatown, like a big expansive feel to the film. And then it sort of gets smaller. The framing gets smaller and smaller as the film goes on, where it's like more of a noir, a traditional noir, because mm-hmm. then they're more claustrophobic. So it's like if I'm playing with the camera and playing with the size of frame, also like in that film is like there's a femme fatale and she's like dominant, shot dominantly in the, in the, in the film. And then he slowly rises up and it's and sort of like they kind of like fight it out, duke it out emotionally. So it's like, it's how you do the framing, how you do the, the, the shots and how you, how you position the actors as well. So, so to kind of expand on that actually, cause what, I, I understand what you're saying about like trying to use all of it together to kind of give the, the full background of, of what you're trying to accomplish. So I, I do want to focus a little bit on what Chris said about like, you know, the, a lot of these things when you have big worlds, there tend to be more scenes that are not focused on the main characters that are out like building that world and, and making it more expansive. And then you have the, the other side of that, which is you're more focused on the character and the character is, you know, on screen more than the overall arcing world itself. So you're saying that you're balancing that. Do are you using the, the world to inform the character more or the character to inform the world more because i think that that's kind of a distinction that that i would like to well when, when you say like the world building like you know i did the studio project so it's like are you talking about like the big marvel type because that there's like just total world building that's like so you know things things that happen outside things that happen outside of the main character because the world exists despite the character Right. So that that's kind of what I'm getting at is that the, the world itself, like regardless of this character's existence in it, it goes on. Things happen in it. So are right. you using those things to inform kind of the the overarching feeling of the character to give more substance to the character by explaining more of what the world they're in? Or are you explaining more about the world? through having more focus on the character and like the character is saying, Oh, well this is happening in the world. This is happening in the world. So like, I'm just kind of curious, which, which of those do you kind of lean on more? I guess, I guess I I get your question now. Uh, Yeah, no, I'm more a character oriented writer. Um, You know, definitely it comes from the character's point of view. I mean, they make the decisions, they decide the journey, you know, the world around paints, paints the, you know, the, 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 the setup and the setting and the everything but the character drives the story you know and, and his point of view is really what drives the story so yeah no, it's, it's more from the it starts from the character and then okay. and then it goes into the world yeah because okay. you know you, you i can i can see like how like you know the way i write is just driven is character driven right you know, then yeah because because it's kind of the difference I'm a big fan of speculative fiction, and I feel like I, I, I liked your answer about how you use the world as the backdrop because I think in a lot of speculative fiction stuff, it does start out with that, uh, you know, this is Blade Runner Chinatown. This is what it looks like, but this is the story about Richard Deckard in, in, in the back room fucking meetings that he's having and stuff, and, and it does do a good job of that. And I, I think that lends itself especially well uh, to, to the noir stuff. And, oh, and yeah, for sure. I, I – I know that that was something that we were sold on pretty hard when we were first uh, talking about having you on as a guest. So h- how do you um, 
do you, I, I guess, A, do you do modern interpretations? It seems like constant treason is relatively modern. Yeah, it's a, it's a neo it's a neo noir, you know. It's, okay. it's definitely neo noir. I mean, it's yeah, it you know, I, it, it's pulled from I mean films that are influences on the film were like uh, I don't know if you saw the Dustin Hoffman Marathon Man. Um, uh, if you saw uh, there's a famous film called Spy Who Came In from the Cold with Richard Burton. Okay, uh, it's a really darker noir. Um, I don't know if you saw the film Three Days of the Condor. Uh, it's with a it's a great movie too. But these are the the first two are, um, and the first and the, and the last one were seventies noir type films, yeah. And they lend themselves from traditional noir, but they push the genre, you know, to like contemporary noir. Because yeah. you look at the seventies, you know, there's it's a noir kind of genre too. You know, any any period, but this is a contemporary noir. This, okay, but it's sort of more shot, like a it could almost be a it's you know it's seventies it's almost seventies noir. It almost feels like from another era. You know, I I made the yeah. Made a you know to great lengths to make a an anti-hero type character, not like a you know your typical leading man as the mm-hmm. as the lead role, you know, which adds like you know if he's a hacker, he's not going to be like this great looking guy who's you know polished. It's going to be he's going to be a little off. So it was a little more difficult to find the lead because you know they're mostly used used to doing character acting, but um, you know Peter pulled it off really great. But it, yeah. you know that's you know that's some of the fu- fundamentals is sometimes it's not always the perfect leads you know they have past they have they have ghosts that they're trying to fight sure you know and 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 i also like just the combination of you know the woman and him and 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 her being part of the cia and stuff like that you know yeah so it's so i guess i I, there's a few ways that i've seen uh people do a neo-noir there's like more of the uh retrofuturism approach which it doesn't seem like that's what you're going for it seems like you're going for more of a uh, modern, yeah, modern, modern. But how are you paying homage to this? Are you still doing like the voiceovers, or is it more in the shots and in the pacing, or like like what what to you makes it a modern take on a noir film? Yeah. Well, I mean, the way we shot it, we shot you know, you know, it, it just worked out this way. But I wanted to do it in the beginning. We we shot both se- both night both night shoots, so it was all it was. I wanted a really a darker just 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 from a visual standpoint a darker look you know, from the beginning. So, um, you know, it was a little challenging with some of the colorists who was used to be the bigger budget stuff and he wanted to make it brighter and more prettier. Yeah. Uh, like, no, so turn it down. <laughs> Mute it out. <laughs> Chill out, bud. That scene, that can pop. But the rest of this, keep it, keep it tight. Great tones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, I, I, you know, the way we shot it, like the chase, um, you know, it was, it was definitely like in a, in a very small, you know, environment where he's trying to escape um and just generally and then the you know the relationship it was it was built on like some you know some 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 people people who had lived lives like she was a cia agent who never fell in love with anyone and it was like her chance to fall in love they were always they had ghosts in their past you know in their in their character so it's just it's somewhat traditional in some ways but the shooting and the colors were the colors were a little made it a little more neo-noir you know i think that was that was a big thing Okay. So you, yeah, you said the blues and reds. Yeah. You said this was a this is a, a TV project you've been working on for a while, and that's like the last three scenes yeah. from that TV. So so this project itself is this something that you just born and bred all of your own uh, of your own design, or something that you worked on with somebody else's uh, you know collaborators, yeah. or something you got hired to do? Like what? Where did yeah, this how did you come? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. It's like I said. I was just you know I was making the departure from from film to TV and it's like, it's, it's, you know, it's much different out here. The film business really has taken a, a huge hit in the last 10 years. So it's like, if you're not 
you know, doing the Marvel, you know, they want to do, you know, big budget action ventures. Right. And then the other ones, are, there's some prestige projects and then there's some specialty projects, you know, which they call independent films that just don't get distributed. So yeah. there's, you know, it's really like the film business has changed quite a bit over the last five, 10 years. So I, I really decided I, I wanted to get into TV and I, I really focused on developing it. So it was really, I developed it. I did the whole thing. I learned, it, it took three, three drafts of the pilot to kind of get right, which was like a year and a half. And then I wrote a Bible, which they call like the outline and the characters yep. and themes and all the big stuff. And then I wrote, I sort of outlined two seasons. So it was, it was definitely a lot of work to get this all right. But the film, you know, it's done well in the festival circuit, won a bunch of awards and it's helped me get in some doors. And, you know, there's definitely some high level interest. There's sure. an agency taking it out and stuff like that. So, so how, how much of the TV show have you worked at? Have you plotted out episodes? Like how, how far is it outside of just what's shot? Sure. It's, um, it's, it's it's the first two seasons are complete, uh, not like every single you know scene and every single, but right. you, you get an idea of like the arcs and the whole you know the plots for the first two seasons. So it's it's pretty much the first two seasons are plotted out and I have an idea for the third. So have you gotten far enough into the writing process that you started to feel the differences between making a, a serialized story versus a self-contained story? Yeah, that's a good question. I've never written a self-contained. You mean as in a feature versus versus right yeah so like so like a yeah like a a standalone film because i mean with a movie you're looking at i mean even with a trilogy you've got about six hours of runtime and that's not even an entire season of a tv show right no that that is a good question i thought you meant closing for tv because i never wrote that written that before um but but regarding like like yeah it's a totally different type of writing for tv and for film like you know the first script the first pilot i wrote was pretty much a whole season of the the show uh because i was used to kind of things ha- quickly paced there's right. an inclusion there's there's a you know with the, with tv you really kind of creating questions and characters and relationships and you know inter you know into relationships and sort of the big plot and the kind of the, the general idea you know it's 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 kind of almost like like an independent film that has less of a plot more more character oriented independent mm-hmm. film because you're really facing more time at first you know it was like tv no way no way you know a lot of independent filmmakers but when you really get into it it's actually more uh, way more time to develop more more ra- well-rounded characters right well you can tell so much more story because you've got you like sub subplots going on and you've got under arcs and things like that and you can say hey well i i want to have um, some heavy uh, expositional character development for these characters, but I can kind of make that a subplot while I focus on the action here to keep it entertaining and still conveying the information. And it seems like in a movie, you just you just don't have the license to do that because you don't have enough uh, enough runtime to really develop those, those those secondary ideas. Yeah, yeah, no, it's like yeah. So the yeah, the first season, um, you know, I, I the first pilot was like just completely like beat really quickly so but then everyone just gave me this after about two pods everyone gave me the same note just set it back six months earlier so okay. i uh that's what i did and you know the couple hadn't met you know so did you have to write two- backwards did you, did uh, you have yeah, to like prequel yourself oh dude i have yeah. done that shit before <laughs> and that is not fun i fucking hate doing that oh. was that what what yeah what kind of challenges did you have plotting back backwards oh. did you have a good idea of what their backgrounds were I like i already feel bad for you like yeah. this is so bad um yeah i know it's, it's it's definitely challenging because you, you it's good that you know where it's going so you really do have an idea of the first season but you it's hard because you really 
you're starting off in a way earlier point. So, you know, it, it, it changed the story dynamic quite a bit. And, you know, and then I built in, his, uh, you had to build in new characters like his whole family. And that was just a ton of work. And so, yeah, so I, I let, you have to let, in a, in a pilot, you have to lay the groundwork of so many different types of characters and storylines. So you really have to think through the whole thing. It's, it's kind of complex, you know. I used to have a film teacher used to always say, start at the end, you know. Yeah. And then, well, that makes that, that does no, make sense. That guy can suck. I, it. I can see it. No, nah, I, I uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, no. <laughs> uh, did, so did that go on to inform things that you had already written? Like, did that uh, did the characters develop through that process differently than you expected them to, or were you pretty easily able to plug in? I have so many followers. No, movies. no, it's a good, it's a good question. Uh, no, I changed the tone of the script quite a bit. Um, I changed, you know, the relationship. I changed. I changed the setting quite a bit. It was like it was more advanced when he was already like had, had sort of so, sort of compromised himself and, and sort of sort of working for the CIA. This is like way earlier. He's, he's in his blue collar town. He's you know this 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 corporation's doing you know testing on soldiers and he's seen his friends die. So you, you get a you know a individual versus the large organization much more clearer and his his whole his whole past. He was like the the genius in a small blue collar town, the kind of like goodwill hunting kind of mm-hmm. idea. Um, so it was that just added so much more dimension to the story when I started going backwards, you know. So, like th- that being said, and this is a big thing, like because I know that I I worry about it constantly when I'm writing. I've talked to Chris about both of us having issues with this as we're writing. So, so taking that idea of, of I started at the end and now I got to fill in a bunch of backstory. Does that help though? Just avoiding giant plot holes and giant, like, uh, I guess just knowing knowing where you're going. Yeah. Like, and things that, you know, are, are obviously like, cause you watch a show and like in season one, they mention this thing and then they do a flashback to it three years, three seasons in. And it's like, that's not how you describe that fucking thing yeah. in season one. <laughs> yeah. Does it does it make that a little bit easier? Like not getting well. Those yeah, things? You know, I first first started writing. I, I would just write, and then you get caught up in so many different issues. And then I started outlining, and mm. which makes a huge difference, especially when you're dealing with a thriller, you know, yeah. or a type of plot because those things can really you, you can spend months in, on, a, on a mistake and try to figure out your whole out, and you could be like in the end of your second act and realize. There's a big mistake here. It's different when there's a, there's a drama or a comedy because you can always kind of play with those ideas. Yeah. Do it again. Subvert expectations. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. You can just, just cut to a comedic idea or drama is more character-oriented. Um, action or thriller, you really have to get it right because, you, you know, it's, it's especially thriller because it, there's so many things that come, little things that come up later. Action is pretty much straight across, but thrillers like you really have to think through it because it's it's a lot more complex yeah because you're gonna you're gonna trip yourself up yeah so i'm actually glad you brought up comedy again because i think one of the things that it always has always interested me about noir stuff and espionage uh, stuff is that it they typically have there's a lot of tension there so it, it slows down the 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 pace of the film and so does having worked on comedy and being comfortable with establishing a pace that's faster translate to being able to hold the attention at a slower pace? Like, it, has that influenced uh, your your ability to play with pacing, just having some understanding of comedic timing and, and having worked in some of that? Um, comedic timing, I mean, comedic comedy kind of helps you kind of dimensionalize the characters and the, and the settings and, and the whole, and it, it just breathes another life to it. 
I'd say more dramatic writing, you know, you know, more independent film writing, like slower, that probably more would, okay. you would, you would get more accustomed to that. But, you know, comedy actually, you know, when you write it, it actually, it's more, at least what, you know, what I try is more snappy. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's, it's not it's, so for, from a tone standpoint, it, it's, it, you know, comedy on a page of paper is a lot faster than, than drama because it just, people are saying the lines generally quicker, you know, right. just generally. Yeah. So I have a, a backtrack moment actually for a second, but I, I, I want to comment on the fact that you were talking about, like, unless you're Marvel putting out these huge movies and like giant actiony things, like, it, it hit me the other day that the last fucking Coen Brothers film was on Netflix. Yeah. And and that was weird, right? Like, because, like, Coen Brothers is one of those things. Like, Coen Brothers is my favorite, right. my favorite filmmakers. But, like, the idea that now it's gotten to a point where even the Coen Brothers are putting out direct-to-streaming stuff. Right. Like, but... Beyond that, um, I that that just was a thought yeah. that I had that I was There's like, yeah, no, of, that like you, a lot of business factors there. A lot of business factors. One, yeah, but, yeah. Um, but the well, your I'm, audience is wider now. Your audience is wider by streaming now yeah, than right. you know than. I mean, you know, how many movies have you seen gone to the theater the last month and paid money for? And you know, I mean, like some people still go. You know, I go, yeah. but. More than more to make it better. More than movie pass, and it fucking sucks. More than (laughs) more than most, but still not many. I think is the answer. Uh, Yeah, I and people get people get annoyed when you know if they see a bad movie, they they yeah. I I I love seeing films on the screen, but I'm just saying it's like you know it's a lot of people. You you know a lot of films aren't supported. Like even the Coen Brothers, they fall they fall into the middle ground. They're like yeah, you know their budget levels and their type of style is the middle ground. So it's like, it's like that's the one that's got washed out in the film business. Well, and, and that, you guys win awards every year. Yeah. And well, you're just like, we can't well, fucking do it. I think, I think there's a few serious factors. I mean, I, I, I think that in the process of making movies for a streaming service, it, like it, depending on how early in the process you know that's what's going to happen, yeah. you have you have a guaranteed amount of money. You have deals that are being worked out, and it's a lot different than expecting you revenue to, to come back in. Right, yeah, absolutely, all that. All that. So you're not as worried about hitting your profit points and those yeah. types of things. And, From a and, business perspective, the, the logistics of that yeah, seem well, a little bit safer. And because we have had these these massive cinematic blockbusters now yeah. that have had unbelievable the, the credit success. scrolls on Marvel movies are huge, so long. There are so many people involved with it, and they're I mean they're literally Disney animating every frame of these things through rotoscoping, and and, and so. I, I think a lot of people's expectations have increased, and I think that's even something that we've had come up between us yeah. here. Is I mean, the, the movie that you would go to see ten years ago that was maybe a seven out of ten movie. You had a good time. It was better than maybe you expected it to be. You had went to go to the theater. You had a communal experience with people. But now, I mean, with the the price of, of ticket prices, now like, you feel you, like Tom Hanks. You don't want to roll out of bed for right. anything less than a nine point. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, if you if you're going to the theater and you walk out of there with less than a nine a nine point experience. Yeah. For the twenty dollars you spent yeah. between a ticket and snacks, you see an eight point yeah. five. You're slightly disappointed with the fifteen dollars you spent. Right, yeah. right. Man, fuck, fuck yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> that's ridiculous. Well, that's what. Yeah, that's what happens. People can watch it on TV if they like it. They can watch it or they can do something else. You know, that's 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 the problem. You know, but I mean, I love movies in the theater, and I I think you know, it's just it's like you know, I, I, the problem is I think the, a lot of the studios they they just they they they. they they, they hurt the audience because the audience is now not used to going to a good movie in theater, so they don't want to take that oh, chance. Goodness. I mean, if they were they're still making quality movies, then the audience would 
still go see them. They want to go see that that feeling, but now it's. Yeah. I mean, half of it would probably get stripped out anyways because of because of uh, you know Netflix and everything else. Because people just don't want to leave, and it's more comfortable for them. But all the, all the other reasons. But I think the other half is they just started making you know movies that were just for one set of group of people. So pe- if That's you're not too. like a fourteen year old boy, you know you don't you know or you know you love, love action you know act, you know Marvel movies. You're not going to really want to go to the movie theater anymore, really, because it's just like it's that. That's the problem. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point too, because like, it, not not to mention like, per average income going to the movies is very very expensive now, like way more than it was yeah. when we were kids. You know, like when when it was the '90s and shit, you could go to a movie on the weekend with your parents, and it was like not a big deal. Right. And now, like, you take you, your significant other, and you, if you have a kid, like. That's yeah. that's your spending for the whole fucking weekend. You're yeah. done. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know. I yeah. like I get that. Like I do understand so, the, the so, behind it. But um, for parking, babysitter, you know, it's, it's, right? You know, yeah. Well, <laughs> we're fortunate we're enough to not have to not have to pay for yeah, parking. Not here. in L.A., man. Oh man. Not, North that's Carolina does not have paying for parking. Yeah. Yeah. That shit is a huge parking lot. Uh, nobody here. Um. So, so I guess I, I, I didn't think about this before, and I, do, I don't know why I didn't. Uh, in shooting, uh, actually uh, committing video to tape, the, the, the process of shooting for the small screen must be different than screening, shooting for a, a big screen too, right? Because you don't have as much real estate to work with. Or is, has that changed because TVs have gotten bigger? Like, what is the – how do you do that for TV? It's a good question. I mean, like, well, this film is, is a film that the concentration is a film. So, I mean, okay. we were shooting for, it would be, it's been on, you know, LA Live, and it's a big screen. So, you know, it actually plays a lot better when it's on a big screen. But, uh, so, you know, as in TV, though, it's, if you look at the quality of some of the shows now, I mean, they're really thinking about, you know, you know, sort of a whole, you know, filmic look. So it's all, it's all, it's very close to, I mean, if you're shooting like a standard comedy on TV, your 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 box is going to be a lot smaller. But if you're if you're trying to do like some a really interesting show, like even like a Breaking Bad or some of the, yeah. some of the other ones like that, they definitely have a filmic look. You just have to be conscious that you know of your framing and so forth because right. it is a smaller screen usually. So that actually brings me to a question I've been holding on to for a little while, and one hundred totally pers- like one hundred percent honest answer. How difficult was it transferring from film to TV for you? Like the process of not only the writing but also the storyboarding and all that. Like I got to assume was it was it kind of tough? Um, well, I mean, this like I said, this this was a film. I mean, I shot it like right. a film. Concentrate is a film. I mean, it's going it's on the festival circuit. You know, it's it's being treated like a film and it was right. shot as a film. So the TV so stuff hasn't been shot. Yeah, the TV, oh, the TV yeah, stuff hasn't been shot. Well, then I guess show, my question is, is it hard transferring as you are now? Like, how does it feel doing a thing that you're not used to doing? It's it's different. I mean, it, it really, like, I really pretty much had to lock myself in a, a room for a couple of weeks and come up with a pilot because it's a, a different type of writing. It's a okay. different, you know, dealing with... Di- it's, it's not just that you're dealing with different executives. You're dealing with different yeah. people. Like, they're the oh, whole different too. business... Film yeah. it's it's you know the way the whole thing's approached you know it's you know tv's much more of a business that you know they have a 12 show order you know it's it's fine you know it's a film is like you know you think it's a one-shot deal and unless it's a franchise type idea you know you're, you're thinking of a one-shot deal so it's a different business model it's a different everything you know it really is it's like and you're really thinking about how to carry a show for at least three to 
you know five or six seasons at least you know so it's a, it's it's a different it's a different everything everything's different like it's a totally different career you know basically so in in shooting you said it's the yes difficult the last <laughs> you said it's the last yeah. th- three scenes from the first season that you shot for the film uh, the last three seasons are the last, yeah, the last episode of the first season. Okay. Yeah, so, so it's the, the difference. Finale. The difference between the this one is they they don't. In, well, I'm not going to blow the whole first season, so I yeah. won't tell you. But it's it's a different. But it is different. Ending. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so what was I, I guess a what was the thought um, that led you down the path of deciding that that was what you wanted to shoot for? I don't want to call that the pilot because it's not a pilot episode, but but for the the, the preview to the series and. Um, what uh, did you take? And also, did you take any steps to try to illustrate how it may translate to TV, even though you were aware of the fact that it was going to be consumed on a screen? Well, that's a good question. It's sort of, it's sort of, it started off like I was going to do a short, then I sort of maybe a web series, and it grew bigger. Then I wrote kind of a half an hour version. I was like, then why do I just do a whole hour of drama? So it sort of kind of, it kind of evolved, like you know normally and then when i wrote the pilot this was the last three scenes and it just seemed the most compelling so i was like this was the first two pilots the the other pilot's different um because that's six months earlier so this was just it happened organically and then i, okay. I just, when i wrote the pilot the first two pilots this was the last uh, 15 pages so it just seemed okay. the most compelling okay yeah so so on a on a slightly more more you topic and less the the project topic and this is just as a, as a writer, I want to know this. Have you, because I've done this, have you ever written a character and just been like, oh, I hate that guy. Like, <laughs> I just, I hate the crap out of the person I just created. Like, because as a writer, I always ask other writers this question. Like, have you ever created uh, no. a character that you're just like, oh, fuck that guy. <laughs> I don't know if I have, but other people have hated him. <laughs> <laughs> is that the intention? <laughs> because I feel like sometimes it is. Yeah. <laughs> So, so you haven't like ever written a character that like when you put them down on paper, you're just like, oh, what a what a sack of shit. Uh, I've had characters that you know may not have worked as better as better thought, but you know, if you know if if they comes out like a dimensional sack of shit, then that's fine. If it's not, then it's it's not a good character. Yeah. So it's, it, right. it's, it's not. It's you know, it's, yeah. I mean, I, I you know in the film, you know, in that film, Lucky Man, Frank Vincent plays this mobster who gets off on like giving people ultimatums like you know kill, kill your brother or be killed yourself so he's like you know very challenging question but he played the part with such sort of like you know je ne sais quoi and comedy and it just added so much dimension you know when you start working you know the actor so yeah and like i i think you know that that old adage is is true like you know, you put your a bit of yourself in in a lot of your main characters, and you also you write what you know. Mm-hmm. You know, it, so you know that being said, like, do you see a lot of yourself in your characters still since you've been doing this a while, or have you started to kind of like back it off and it's more like ah, I'm just, I'm writing characters, or, or does it surprise there. you when it comes through? Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, like, it, it's kind of like a soup you know you put like a couple things of yourself you cut a couple things of other people a couple movies you like a couple and then it's sort of you, you think about the whole the whole how it all comes together and then you get a couple more ideas of the character and the plot kind of can you can when you figure out the plot you can see how it demonstrates. so it's a bit of everything it's not necessarily one one thing it's not like 
this is you know all about me or all about something else or about another movie or another character a friend you know it's a bit of everything so it usually kind of find shades of a lot of different things Okay. Has it ever like surprised I that, you? I don't know if that's a, I, I don't know if that's a political way of answering. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's honest though. I mean, yeah. I mean, have you yeah. ever been like writing a character and like you know, like, at a certain <laughs> stage in writing the character, yeah. you're like, wow, oh, I just this worked is a, something out. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> this is a lot more me than I thought. Or yeah. wow, this is this is Ted. Like <laughs> yeah, this is my buddy Ted. Like fuck, I just wrote Ted <laughs> into my script. Like has that ever happened to you? Where you're like, oh shit, I didn't realize I did this. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it comes out more when there's interaction between the two, two, you know, the two people, like this okay. couple or whatever. Yeah. More comes out because there's something to bounce it off against. So if it's just, you know, if you're just writing that one, you, then you're like, oh, you know, maybe it's got something there. But when it's bouncing off someone, you see how they react, or you see, you kind of like look at what themes are coming out of the relationship. Okay. You know, those are, those are the big things that come out is that is the, the themes of relationships. Okay. And stuff like so that. it's more about That's like conversational and reactionary, not so much about like typical mannerisms, like everyday kind of stuff. It's more about the interactions and, and how that. Okay. Yeah. No, okay. That, that makes, makes a lot of sense. Discovering yeah. who they are through interaction. So, but, yeah. I've got another, and, and if this is get, getting too in the weeds, we, we don't have to talk about it. But you, you're the first person that we've had on that that's had anything that was a, a TV related project, and and you were saying that the the industries operate differently, even even though being from an, an outside view, relatively the same. Does that have to do with um, the pitching process and the development process of it? Is it like when you're making a pilot and shopping it around, are you looking for production companies to pick it up, or are you looking for networks to pick it up? Like, what is the um... Well, um, the, just like just going back to the first part of the question, like the film business, you know, there's not people putting a lot of print and advertising in, in movies anymore. So it's just there's not they don't have the same opportunities that, of distribution than they had in the past. So, you know, that that's just, you know, the film's not getting distributed, you know, independent films. So so that's 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 one thing. Um, the pitching part is different because it's like, you know, you're. You, you, it's similar in some ways. You, you have to bring up a production company, then you go to a network. You know, you don't go to a network directly. You go to a production company first, and then you, and then they become your partners, and they've done a few shows, and then they attach a showrunner who's got a, who's done a few big shows. And okay, so that's they, typically somebody coming in from the outside as a showrunner. Yeah, yeah. So they, they they they'll partner you up if you created a show and they want they want to do it. They'll partner you with someone more seasoned who's done something you know in that vein. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, did, have you, have you enjoyed working on this project and what, what are some, what are some things that you want to like let people know about the project? Like some, some cool stuff that you're, that you'd like the, the up and coming people who are going to watch it to kind of know about the process and everything else. Like, what do you want to tell people? Um. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed working on it because, you know, we, we went out and planned it, you know I mean? For all film, because I'll say like, you know, just plan as much as you can, like storyboard your film, you know, pick your locations early, try to do the casting process earlier. Um, we did a lot of that, which really helped. I mean, it was, it was a little challenging to find the leads because like I said, they weren't the normal, like usually people play, you know, these, the, the at least the guy lead was like more of a, was, you know, they're not character actors aren't used to carrying a film so much. So it was hard to find Peter's a good actor and it was lucky right. that we found him. Um, and, and then we were looking for like more of a Jennifer Gardner type, you know, alias, you know, um, woman, but we found this other act, woman who was like, uh, who was, who was the better actress, but she was tiny and we put her in some big boots and she, you know, and then we found a great, we, one of the producers found a, 
uh, a stunt coordinator who was big in the 70s and 80s and made some big movies and he helped us make it look real okay. so you know it's it it was it was you know it was it was it was just you know it was challenging to kind of get this all done in two nights we shot like 140 setups but we were organized and we shot really quickly which really wow, allowed us to a lot get a quality yeah you know and uh yeah so we did some it, second unit and we did we had like we had it all planned out we had like a warehouse that was like you know, had the room upstairs where he was on the computer and then the chase through it. So we had each thing marked out and we had, you know, the FBI chase and we had it all, we, we duplicated some of the shots and we had it all planned out properly. So it came together. That was one of the key things that did, did that give together. you a big hit to your pre-production time? Like, did that just like, just make it that much more important to have everything planned out correctly? Or did you have a pretty good sense of it going in? You're like, okay, well, this is what we need and we're just going to do it. And Make it happen. Do you, when you say pre-production time, does that do you say that cut it or did that lengthen it or what was the question? Yeah, yeah. Uh, did that lengthen the the time you had to spend in pre-production going into it? The fact that you're oh, gonna yeah, have I such mean, a short I, production yeah. window. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, that's what I always say. You know, people doing independent film, you have less money but more time. So just plan. You know, at least an extra two or three months ahead of time than you think you need. Yeah. It just allows you to get better actors. The biggest mistakes is people like you know pick actors you know too quickly. They don't. They don't have their writing polish. They don't really. They haven't really thought out the locations and the shoot schedule. You know, they they'll pick the crew members last minute. You know, a lot of things that just end up becoming a complete mess. You know that. You know, it's it's just the way. You know, bigger projects are shot. So the mm-hmm. more the more you know together, the better the, the results yeah. will be. And then uh, yeah, and rehearsal, that, re- oh. rehearsal time. Rehearsal time too. It's like you know, it's like we had three leads and both times, and casting director came up with a good idea of doing chemistry reads. So we had. But all three actors play off each other, and we found the best combination, you know, too. Yeah. So we always try to ask people, uh, because we get a lot of interesting creatives on, and I think a lot of people that listen to the show don't have this, the same perspective that a lot of the guests do. Is there uh, a, a story from the production of Constant Treason or maybe something in the past that you think, uh, I don't know, like, do you have like, an interesting anecdote of something that happened or maybe something that kind of typifies production work you know, in a way that is different from what people should, would expect should i should i just go ahead and throw this out the way we usually ask this question well yeah sure tell us some weird shit <laughs> yeah, what's you while weird, you're doing that while you're doing weird this shit? work <laughs> yeah just tell us some, some like, a really weird crazy <laughs> or, story or whatever that yeah while you're something, working on a thing well, yeah <laughs> well yeah i mean uh i you know I, I could tell you that the you know this uh, the scar that you know we had some issues with the, the makeup of uh, the scar it was very complex because the, the scene we, you know, when you're shoot, shooting a big, is an eight-page scene, you know, usually, usually it'd be just like a scar, but the scar kept getting, we wanted to get worse and worse because she's digging into his neck. So we had a, you know, the makeup probably would have done like a number of different times, but we didn't have enough time. So we did some stuff in post, some stuff in makeup, you know, some, some camera tricks, you know, so that was really challenging, you know you know, visual effect is the, is the scar. So I'll just, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Okay. The idea of, (laughs) of having, so, so we know some people who are in special effects makeups and stuff, and I can, I can only imagine the giant pain in the ass. It would be to come in every like, like five minutes and worsen a scar. Well, especially on that head of a production. Oh God, that sounds just, just yeah, it's, it's not just it's not just that you're, you're shooting different angles of the scene, and it's like you're not always you're gonna shoot on one side, so you're gonna shoot later and earlier. Right. So you'd have to kind of so go backwards was, too. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we did some stuff in post, and it's, you know, and it was it was just a lot, very complex to do it. You know, to do it, 
you know, even on any production, because the same scene we shot in like six hours would probably take three or four days in, in regular production. It's eight pages, yeah. so maybe maybe even a week on some on a bigger film, you know. Yeah. Because you know the the other thing was pretty pretty interesting that, that we we're shoot, shooting in a room, you know, a living room that had big huge windows right around it. We didn't black everything out because we were planning on shooting finishing around five four five o'clock in the morning. But then the light was starting to come up, which was, you know, we needed to get the last shot. So we, you know, since I was producing this and directing it, you know, we shot really quickly to kind of finish that last scene, which was, which put some pressure on the actors and it kind of came out better in some ways, but it's a lot of pressure when you, you know, you, you do it to your project and you have to get this in the can. So it was like the light was coming up because then once the light comes up, it changes, it changes, like you can't use the shots if they don't match. You can't, right. you can't fix them in the post, post. So you sure. had to get it, yeah. we had to get it done. Yeah. I feel like you you have the calmest and most like steady life of anyone we've ever interviewed because that was the tamest what's weird shit that's happening yeah. in the story. Well, I, I, that I makes me feel good though that yeah. somebody out there is not constantly putting out fucking dumpster fires. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, that somebody's out there and they're having a pretty decent life. <laughs> uh, yeah, there, there was a, there wasn't any like you know zoning problem. I mean, like on my film Lucky Man, we lost. Uh, the, you know, when I shot in New York, we lost like a, a big, uh, a big location by the Brooklyn Navy Yards. And we had to go to this other location that we didn't have a permit for that we shot earlier. And then suddenly these lights came on and, and, uh, um, this is what and, uh, about. and, and, yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, it was just like, a um, kind of like, a um, you know, there was a wise guy theme movie and, uh, you know, these guys who were in the garbage yard were, were like uh, weren't really happy with this whole situation, but they knew some of the people on the set. So suddenly they brought out food and the lights went on and we got oh. to night. <laughs> okay, oh. that was much. That's better. a close call. Also, <laughs> just want call. everyone to know: never yeah. let them take you to the secondary location. <laughs> <laughs> never let it happen. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, you want to hit picks? Yeah, uh, so at the end of the show here, we do a round of picks and plugs. Uh, picks is anything that you uh, want people to know about, uh, whether it's TV, book, film, music, a sandwich that you really like, whatever. Um, uh, you, you got one? You want me to go first? I got one. You, you, I can go. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I have this week been watching the third season of Big Mouth on oh. Netflix. This is like this is the uh, third time you've chosen. Dude, this it show. keeps being good. <laughs> it keeps being good. I don't know. Like it, it, it I, I don't think I need to explain it any more than I already have. But the basic premise is it's uh, adolescents going through puberty, and it's an animated comedy starring Nick Kroll, and that, that's really all you need to know. But season three, it's it's funny because even though they do the uh, the cartoon trip of them all like staying the same age and being in the same grade, like since they're supposed to be in seven grade now that it's been on for three seasons they're like starting to get into more like high school kind of territory like uh one of the characters in one episode gets diagnosed with uh add and so he he's like this crazy character and then he that shows him like being level but then he finds out that he can sell the drugs to other people so all the students start to be as crazy as he was in the first place and this I, was it, just my middle school experience. dude they are they're killing it season three big mouth is still good that's that's uh my pick word up uh, I got a double pick this week. Okay. Um, so I, I, I talked about it a little bit last week. Uh, bought Overwatch and I'd never played it before. Sure. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm having a lot of fun. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it just, it's, it's just fun. And being a person who's never really been super duper into video games and having a third person or a first person shooter, which I usually hate and right. enjoying it has been cool. 
Um, the second thing is a Netflix show called Daybreak. Okay. Um, Yo, I saw that. It looks interesting. I like Daybreak for a lot of different reasons. The biggest reason being that it is so good at doing shit that should feel very insensitive and doing it in a way that's like, okay, you're making fun of other people doing this thing that's clearly fucked up. Right. Um, in like an almost sunny kind of way? Uh well, more in almost a like, sunny, like always sunny. Oh, it is almost sunny. <laughs> almost sunny. Um, so more in that way of like, we have the cancel culture and PC culture right yeah. now, and they're kind of commenting, like they were doing a commentary on how we were super abusing the shit out of that for okay. like a long time, and then they're using some of the words that you just can't use anywhere right. anymore, and then they're like just ironically making fun of the fact they're using those words. Okay. Um, so, and also it's just a cool premise. Yeah. Um, so the, the premise is basically, uh, bombs drop, uh, and it's just teenagers left and the, and the, and the adults that are left. Yeah, no, it's, there's another show that's kind of like this that Netflix did, but it's fucking terrible. Um, but it's like the, there are only teenagers left except for a couple adults and the adults that are left are just weird zombies. Like, and the only thing they can say is the last stupid thought that went through their head. <laughs> and they don't transfer zombie virus. They just want to eat you. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can get yeah. bit a hundred times and you stay just a regular right. teenager. As long as you don't get eaten to death. I, we don't know yet. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we haven't yeah. gotten that far. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, so, th- that's my pick. That's cool. Pick. Do, yeah. you ha- do, you do you have a pick? pick? You don't need to, but you if you do, to, you, you can't. Can. My pick? My thumbs or something? No, I... <laughs> uh, do that in the plugs <laughs> uh it's shows i've liked on tv right now but i like succession uh mm. and the, the politician okay that was good. i've heard the politician is super good i've heard it's like real real good i need to i need to check that out sarah stuck her head you. A- approval from the peanut guy approval from from tech yeah um, um, so th- thanks for coming out where can people uh find out more about you in constant treason uh i mean it, if you're in birmingham england it's playing at a, a festival there coming up uh but yeah you can just you can just google my name ruben orback.com it's on it's on there and uh the name of the film is constant treason and uh It'll be, you know, playing. I think we just made a distribution deal, so it should be on iTunes in the next couple months. Okay. Dope. Hell yeah. That's exciting. It is exciting. Yeah. I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) This has been a Name Redacted Podcast. You can find us anywhere that delicious podcasts are served. Um, And we usually get online and stream some stuff after the podcast on Sunday nights at twitch.tv slash American Feral. We do. Um, And uh, yeah, I don't know. That's pretty much it. You want to take us out? I can totally take us out. So, everybody, go out and touch some butts. Do it. Touch some butts. They're squishy. Consensual butt touches. Yeah, that's our sign off. I don't know how that stuck. That's I don't know. Yeah, like, that was the weirdest thing that stuck. Uh, thanks for coming on. That was that was fun. Yeah, Rune, that was real fun. Yeah. yeah.